Welcome film industry professionals, movie aficionados, and aspiring filmmakers. This is the Cinema Pathway Podcast, brought to you by Paradoxical Films. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Join us on a journey behind the camera, and most importantly, beyond what we know about film and the craft of filmmaking. So sit tight, grab some popcorn and soda, and let's go ride on Cinema Pathway. Welcome listeners to the Cinema Pathway Podcast. Way back in 1903, a film called The Great Train Robbery mesmerized audiences. It was one of the first films to have acts of violence. There were wide shots. They used matte effects. Simultaneous action across multiple scenes. Bad guys versus the good guys. It also included a scene where one of the bandits falls off of his horse. Uh, The man who performed that, his name was Frank Hannaway. And he was hired specifically because... He knew how to fall off a horse without hurting himself, and in thus becoming the first stuntman in films. Over the last 120 years, stunts, like the rest of filmmaking, has continued to evolve. Uh, There's well-known names of stunt performers slash actors, starting with Buster Keaton, Jackie Chan, uh, Tom Cruise. They are legendary stunt performers like Vic Armstrong and Wendy Leach. Uh, Today, we are joined by a man who is a stunt performer, a stunt coordinator, he is a special effects artist, an armorer, as well as a writer, actor, and producer. I am pleased to be joined today by Juan Bofield. Juan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having your show. Juan, I, I think a lot of us, at least me, you know, both being a fan of movies and working in the industry, at one point when we were kids, thought or dreamed of being a stuntman, you know, jumping off a building into the giant airbag or, you know, jumping a canyon in a car, uh, usually it comes from crashing our bikes when we were a kid, uh, and then reality hits. You have a fascinating background. You had a lot that you did, you know, very successful career before you became a stunt person. Um, but was that your dream when you were a kid? Did you ever think this is where you'd end not, up today? Really. I was brought up to be a pediatric doctor. Since the age of 14, I wanted to be some sort of doctor. You know, that was something. I, you know, I come from a family of three other brothers and so on. Uh, so as I was growing up, basically, my stunt career actually started when I was six years old, if you want to be that way. So I, I got from Cuba here in, in 68. It was September of 68, October of 68. Um, my father was a big practitioner in Cuba. An actual a natural champion. And uh, it, this, in October 68, two months after, he threw me into more short school. Listen, you're, I've been doing judo for the, my whole life, and I, this is what I want you to be. Through all, all four of us in a judo school, two blocks away. Back then, judo was like $15 a month. Now it's like over $100 a month, whatever. And then, of course, growing up with four brothers, fighting every day, throwing hair, there and there. It comes from, you know, Latin parents, Europe comes, the bell comes, so we have to defend ourselves. We fell, you know, for our, from our, 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 down the stairs in our two-story little house. We used to have a townhome. And so all that started. But realistically, stunt work came on a time where I never thought of it. Uh, like I said, I started more shorts, and, and then right when I got to the age of 12, I started competing nationally and then by the, by the time I was 17 I was going international I wasn't home every weekend I was somewhere flying somewhere competing I became three times world champion in the martial arts and so on back in the early 80s uh, late 80s I got a call from a friend of mine who was also a martial artist he goes hey Juan listen uh, there's this there's this TV series uh, called Miami Vice and they're, they need somebody who could fight and fall from a boat and I go, okay, uh, what do you want from me? He goes, what he goes, I want you to come over. 
so apparently they had somebody that didn't fit the part and that person there was actually it was a lot of I remember this big being in Hollow Over Beach there was a lot of current and they wanted somebody who could swim strong etc cetera, etc cetera. so I went to that I went there and you know here I am young not knowing what's going oh my god Don Johnson's here I'm looking at Don Johnson and when I get there they're on top of this sailboat they're looking at each other this older man and Don Johnson and some other stunt guys and uh bunch of people you know so i come to a set and i'm going oh my god here i'm this young guy and i'm freaking out so i walk up there on top of the sailboat and um so they had this stunt person there i don't know if it was a fight choreographer or stunt corner or whatever and it was a scene with don johnson fighting and then uh basically if you if you know the show don johnson was basically directing and producing and acting doing everything and we're, we're making a story short we got up there and we got squared off in a fight I, I guess i stole something and i was running out he, he blocked me in you know puts a badge out you know mammy says hi what my my advice whatever and i'm supposed to fight him and so it was supposed to be a one-two punch mm-hmm. so i'm there and this fight guy or whoever it was wasn't you know getting what don johnson wanted so i just you know being a martial arts for so long and so on i just go why don't you do this and do that and i'll hit this and i'll rule and i fall in the water he goes how okay throw me a kick i'll block it you punch in the face body shot face shot and then give me a big old you know, John Wayne type hook mm-hmm. punch, and I'll flow it forward in the water. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I rehearsed a couple of times. Three, two, one. Pop, 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 poof. I fly in the water, fall in the water. I come out of the water. The guy hugs me, and he goes, where's this guy been? <laughs> Why do we have this in the show? You know, that kind of stuff. That's how I started. That reminds me of, uh, that's the way uh, Lee Ermey got hired to be the uh, the actual Gunnery Sergeant Hartman in Full Metal Jacket. He was hired hired as the consultant, and yeah. he was coaching the actor. They And I think after a couple of days, Kubrick fired the actor yeah, and said, right time on the right just, place, just you know? do it. And you know, I don't, he didn't even have to give him a script. He yeah. just did, did everything. The right time, right place, you know, yeah. basically and, pretty much. And, and it shows once again, there's no blueprint. No, for no, how people. no. And I knew, I didn't know nothing about the business. Mm-hmm. I knew martial arts. I knew that I could put something all together because there's, there's something called katas in, in the karate world. And it's called something called bunkai. What it is, is, a, is the actual, what you're actually doing. Kata is a form, okay, like a dance. But that dance, that form has applications. You throw a punch, I block, I throw, I throw. So it's applications. So I knew the application. I didn't know fight choreography per se, like in the movies. But I know if you throw a punch, I block this way. If I grab my throw this way, so that's what I did. And it came out great. You know, one take, one shot. You know, I got wet. I got out. They shake my hands. I go, okay. I wasn't even hired as a stunt guy. I was hired as an extra. I wasn't even, I wasn't even union. I was a nothing. I was just a replacement. And I don't know what it was like back then. Happened. Nobody probably told you, like, hey, by the way, Stuntmen are considered cast, so you should yeah. be getting paid more. I, I didn't know nothing. I was just happy. I don't know. You know, I don't even know if I don't remember even got paid. I don't know. Maybe if I did, but whatever. But that was it. Michael Mann or Don Johnson, if you're listening, you may still owe one money. <laughs> because I wasn't even union back then or whatever. So it was like, here's the towel. Okay, bye. You know, one of those things, you know. But I started it all, you know, and I, I again I kept going on martial arts and then um Early, uh, my early 20s, I, um, I, uh, I decided to become a police officer. So um, I lied. First, let me take a step. I became an EMT, and I never forget, we're getting to the call, and basically uh, we're inside this fire rescue truck, and we get to the call, and I see a whole bunch of guys. because we can't go in. There's still, you know, there's a homicide. There's still SWAT, et cetera, et cetera. Here comes a SWAT truck right in front of me, cuts in front of me, a whole bunch of guys dressed in black with machine guns. I go, 
I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so six months down the line, I was in the police academy, became a cop. Was that here in Miami? Uh, City Hialeah. Yeah. City Hialeah. Yeah. So, and back in 88, 87, 88. And at, at the same time, I was doing a little bit of stunt here and stunt there. And then um, they started doing different projects. Whatever I came to, back then, Florida, South Florida specifically, was hot in the film industry. You know, we had different shows. There was commercials all the time. There was, you know, movies coming from South uh, South America or Telemundo was very hot, hot back then. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm Latin. So they were calling me for all types of fight scenes and shootouts, all that kind of stuff. So, and that's how it started, basically. And from there, it hasn't stopped. Now, in my last, you know, four years, five years, I've been there directing more than the actual stunt coordinator, you know. Going back to your early career, you one of your early film that you participated in as Stuntman is actually one of my all-time favorite films, yeah. uh, Delta Force. Yep. Chuck Norris, right Lee Marvin. Yeah. That was basically almost like my advice, per se. You know, I went as an extra for that show. Well, I tried to get into as a stunt guy, but they already, that, that's, I think it came from California. They already bought all their stunt guys and so on. And they, I don't even know if you made it to a movie. It was, I was going up the stairs and I had to move out of the way, but the stairs were tight. It's inside this, this building. And basically when I was going up the stairs, here comes this thug chasing this other thug and a shootout, whatever. And I get hit in the shoulder and I'm supposed to be like bent over. I didn't bend over. I threw myself down the stairs and with no equipment, no nothing, and I rolled down, and that was that was it. And then after that, I, I for the for like six, seven straight days, I worked on it. I was supposed to only work only one day, so they used me as you know falling this gun, you know running through the water. Okay. I mean through the. Was that filmed down here? No, it was Texas, New York. I think most of it in Texas happened. In Texas, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Uh, that's where I was at. It was. Yeah. There's two urban legends surrounding Delta Force. One is that uh, Liam Neeson is an uncredited, but he was one of the Delta Force. Yeah. Guys. And the other is uh Golden and Globus, they actually don't exist. They're not yeah. real people. They're 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 just made up yeah. names yeah. that for the production company. Yeah. That was my very first big thing, yeah. you know, uh, theatrical, you know, because uh, my advice was all TV series yeah. and so on. But yeah. like I said, it just blew up. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into the police department, I pretty much went up the ranks pretty quick. So I had time to do, if I needed two days here, a month to get away, whatever, for a film or a TV series, I was able to do that, you know. Looking back growing up, were you a fan of movies and TV shows? Listen, going back to what we spoke about, my father threw me in Judah when I was six years old. A few years after that, I started seeing all Bruce Lee movies. And I, I look at my dad and I go, I want to do that. I don't want to get thrown around. I want to do that. I want to kick. I want to do the nunchucks mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. He goes, okay, great. You could do that. Yeah. And actually, in that martial arts school, they had karate and judo. So I go, oh, dad, I want to do that. Thinking, okay, I'm going to get away. I'm going to leave judo. And he's going to put me in karate. He goes, no, if you want to do karate, you got to do both of them. And I stuck in judo and karate for until now. And then once you started, you know, working the stunts in the industry, did you become a student? Did you start watching, you know, Kurosawa films, you know, no, Hong Kong martial bas arts movies? Basically, when I got into the film, I, I again, when I got heavy into the film, I was already, I love the guns, you know, I have a thousand plus guns, you know. Well, I think it's helpful to say that, but anyway, ATFs don't follow me. You know, now I got ATF in my office, uh, you know, once a month. But anyway, I I, I love the weaponry. I I love the combat. I love military. Um, you know, that's why I got into SWAT. I was in 21 years in SWAT. I got licensing for explosives. I got licensing for for rigging equipment and so on. But uh, um, Bruce Lee movies was my impact. Mm -hmm. I I was see Enter the Dragon 700 times already. Return of the Dragon 700, all the Bruce Lee movies. Mm -hmm. And growing up, that was it. I didn't want to see nothing. I wasn't a Star War, a war fan. I wasn't any of the, you know, 
this kind of fans. Mm-hmm. I was just a, I see only action movies. I see now different movies because I got a nine year old and a five year old, so I gotta go see you know the you know the other movies that I gotta be with the kids. But other than that is and there, there's one I watch a lot. Growing up. I think Revenge of the Ninja, uh, Shokasuji, and yeah. just it, you look at it now. Yeah. It's so cheesy, but it's so yeah. amazingly cheesy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and yeah. that was, I mean, I was never into martial arts, but I, I was just a movie geek from the time I was kids. We would play Ninja. Yeah. But yeah, he's, he's another legend. Um, Chuck Norris, yeah. the, the legend. There's other ones who have come. Is there any, besides Bruce Lee, what else do you look for for inspiration when you choreograph a fight? Do you stick mainly to what you know within like your martial arts knowledge or want you to choreograph a boxing movie right. and then right. you, know, you study up on boxing? Like Fight choreography has changed throughout the years. Now, now everybody wants to do the John Wick type of fight style. You know, everything goes throwing, kicking, punching, everything, combination of jiu-jitsu. You know, that's a new... F- been a new fad for the last 20 something years back in the early 80s it was we called the john wayne john wayne type fighting you know brawl uh bar stop you know long punches everything now is different everything's close quarter everything's trapping and punching and kicking throwing um and if you're not into that that type of fight skills it's very hard to get into the market now you okay. know you have to have that expertise and, and what what happens now it depends on it all depends on on big budget like studio films you they hire a stunt coordinator and they'll hire you a stunt coordinator you do everything you do right. the fight coordinator. now now you have the, you know, uh, like John Wick. John Wick had a, this excellent fight team from California mm-hmm. called 8711, um, where it's like 15 guys, you know, right. and uh, uh, well, 13 guys and a few girls. And uh, he went to train over there f- for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so back then it was just your stunt coordinator, you do everything pretty much. It's yeah. funny, you mentioned it, the, the films of the 80s and all that for a long time. I believe that if you punch somebody in the face, it sends them back flying 10 feet. <laughs> like, like, like they use it. It made a really loud sound. You know, you, you talk about stunt performers and these huge stunt teams. We don't get into the business for, for awards, but recognitions are nice. There's always topic of whether there should be, you know, an Academy Award for stunt, either stunt coordinators. Do stunt performers get recognized in the industry? Now, some of the base, some of the, the A-lit actor, actors in, in major shows are announcing the stunt team and so on. A lot of the, the older guys are fighting for the stunt their stunt awards whether whatever show it would be the issue that i that i hear and this is from top good guys in the studio is that think about it let's go we'll talk about john wick john wick started with one every time every john wick there's more stunts mm-hmm. and they're getting to that edge of something happening you know uh so that's i think the the studios are not giving or the the shows are not giving any stunt awards because if they do that people are going to take it to the limit and people are going to get hurt and that's i think yeah. that's the reason they're not doing it and i understand that because uh look at too fast too furious every time you look at a new show they're getting real close um, John Wick, I don't know if you guys seen it, but it's John Wick is out of control yeah. when it comes down to stair falls. falls the video know? went viral of, of yeah. the stuntman falling down. down the stairs, which yeah. I know him personally, and he, he killed it, you know? And, yeah. But what's happening is they're going to take it to that living, and there's there's going to be liabilities, you know? Yeah. So I think that's why they're, they're hesitant about putting stunt coordinators or stunt performers for any type of awards. Mm-hmm. But there is, but there is, going back to Taurus Awards, which is a, 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 an academy type of award show for stunt people. Yeah. You mentioned two things that, that I want to, I want to follow up on. One of them is, I think you kind of answered like, are they pushing it too far? Like, is it just starting to become too much, you know, stunts? The other thing is, has being a stunt performer ruined you're watching movies because you're whenever you see like an action scene if it wasn't something you did you're more dissecting it 
as a stunt coordinator as opposed to just a casual? Well, let me tell you right, right now, if you look at the top movies right now, the last, like Extraction and like the new Extraction coming out, Extraction 2, John Wick. And, and if you go to any shows worldwide, they're going to tell you action films win it and then horror films after that mm -hmm. and after that. But so imagine any action scenes without any stunt performers right. or stunt coordinators. How would it look like? Think about it. Now, the job of the stunt coordinator, my job as a stunt coordinator is safety first. You know, then, the, you know, the course director is going to want to go above and beyond. That's where we have to yeah. stand up and say, no, you're not going to do this this way because this might happen this way. We got to spend this money to do it right. We're not going to do this way. You know, so I think that if it wasn't for stunts in this business, top mm -hmm. movies right now will be nothing and it's funny you mentioned john wick i have a confession to make i have never seen any of the john wick movies the reason is i started watching the first one i couldn't make it past the first five minutes when the dog dies any movie where a dog dies i'm out i haven't seen marley and me i haven't seen this dog's life you know <laughs> so everyone tells me i gotta get past that because i know i understand that's the catalyst for everything that happens and and he gets gets a new dog but again you know it's the uh the inciting incident uh, as as we call it you know you mentioned miami vice delta force some other stuff so i is like what is your most memorable project that you've ever worked on there's a lot of them but on a one-on-one -on -one basis as a personal one uh iron man 3 i dealt with with mr tony really one-on-one -on -one base yeah so we did what we call previous on the business where we train rehearsed and we get everything choreographed and just like don johnson and many multiple a-list actors they run the show you know Tony Stark's runs the show. Mm -hmm. He directs the producer there. He comes inside. So anyway, so we rehearsed like two or three days for this major fight scene. And uh, we're set. We're ready to go. And we come to the set and we he comes there, of course, and he says, let me see what you guys got. Because he never went to the previous, mm -hmm. he to, to the rehearsals. He just came into set and says, let me see what you guys got. And it's like four or five of the top stunt guys in, right. in the country, realistically. And we went at it and he turns around and he goes, Tony Stark won't fight like that. Let me show you. So he comes out there and he was coming up the stairs. You'll see it in Iron Man. Uh, he comes upstairs and there's a fight scene. And he says to himself, you come, not to me, but to one other stunt part. You do this, you do that. And then he came to me and I was supposed, I had the longest part with him and he just got stuck. And I remember the producer slash and the fight choreographer said, he goes, don't talk to him. He doesn't like to be talked to, quote unquote. <laughs> so I'm this far away from Mr. Stark, okay. you know? And he's, I could see in his face that he's stuck on this technique. And I go, I'm going to throw a right hand and you block it and you grab me by the throat and you take me down. I told him it's like that. Mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to do that. I look over the shoulder I see the, the people look at me. You're not talking to him, are you? And, and he goes, he goes to me, how? And he goes to me, what's your name? I go, Juan. He grabs my hand. He shakes my hand. Now I'm going, I'm fired. I'm fired up to this. And basically he goes, I go, I'm going to throw this right hand block and then grab me by the throat, take sweep me to the ground and I'm going to punch you and punch you. So I end up choreographing that part and I'm going, I'm, I'm that's it, I'm done for the show, you know, because I don't wet my mouth. But he was asking me, what am I gonna do, be rude, you know? So make a long story short, it happened, everything went great. That was an experience to the maximum, you know? Even though I, I worked with major A-list actors, but that, that was just an experience, you know, on the set, on the last minutes, on the on the go, you know? Walking to the producers, directors, and everybody, and I'm going, oh my God, I'm gonna get fired. And, he, and they just looked at me and turns around and he looks at one of the guys there, <laughs> producer, whatever, and he goes, so he couldn't tell me nothing pretty right. much because he knew the situation, kind of knew the situation. I walked away and I go, okay, I'm still here. 
Watch out, That was an experience, even though it was, you know, a, a few minutes and so on. But you know, like I said, I, I worked with many A-list actors, but that moment was an impact. Awesome, you know? great stuff. You brought up a lot of stuff that we're going to come back to. We're going to just take a quick break. But before that, Paradoxical Films and Cinevideotech are pleased to bring you Tell Your Story, a hands-on masterclass taught directly by Egon Stefan Jr. In this class, you will learn how to work with actual 16-millimeter film, film cameras, as well as how to load and change magazines. Visit www.paradoxicalfilms.com backslash tell your story for information on dates, pricing, and how to enroll. Hurry, as seats are limited and classes are filling up quickly. This is Howard Brand with the Cinema Pathway Podcast. We'll be right back. back today i am joined by juan bofield at the beginning of the show i mentioned the great train robbery another notable scene from the great train robbery is that it shows one of the bad guys pointing his gun at the camera and emptying all the rounds shooting obviously you know if if anyone has been paying attention knows that recently set of a movie called rust a gun was fired that killed cinematographer helena hudson in a situation that even without knowing all the details not being there all of us know it could have and should have been avoided. You mentioned safety earlier and how it's, you know, people are, are risking. As an armorer, again, like I said, we weren't there, you know, not talking about whatever may transpire from it. But as an armorer, can you talk about how many safety protocols and how many checks are in place or are supposed to be in place to make sure things like that do not happen and are not supposed to happen? Well, take it a step. That's a horrible and tragic case that should have never happened. And it all starts from production, you know, producers hiring the right people. And what is the right people? Well, when it comes to having an armor on set, whether you're using a plastic gun, a prop gun, a, a blank gun, anything that deals with that, the whole idea here is that you trust, whether it's plastic or rubber, treat it like a real gun. Uh, and when you have the proper individual there, the right armor there that has that mindset of being safety all the time, you know, you're going to get that. That whole, done many interviews in that case, I won't get into the politics of it, but I could tell you that everything from A to Z was wrong in that case, okay? And it, like I said, it starts with hiring. If you hire the right people, they're going to know the steps to do and so on. The procedures just follow. Whether there's a blank gun, uh, you know, like for example, we go John Wick. John Wick, everything was airsoft and plastic mm-hmm. guns. They never used a blank gun and then post, they spend the money in post. Some people, like myself, you know, I direct films and all my films that are directed, I like the blank guns. I want to see the smoke come out. I want to see the shell, the casing come out. I want to see all that. Can you do that in post? Yes, but you'll spend more in post than you actually do it. Mm-hmm. And I just like the action uh, because you get good reactions, specifically the stunt guys or the talent when they're firing a gun. However, the procedure for that is this. When you ever you bring a, a firearm to set, whether it be a blank, a rubber, or plastic, you've got to ask with a first AD a safety meeting. Explain to everybody what it is. And everybody, I mean cast and crew, there you stop whatever it takes. Everybody comes and you get on as an armor uh and you explain to them, this is what we're going to utilize. This is the scene, what it is. And this is what it is. This is a plastic gun. And you tap it out. You make everyone see it, point in a direction. You know, you explain what the gun is, whether it's a prop, plastic, rubber, or, or a blank gun. Blank guns, you, there's, again, you have a blank ammunition inside. A proper blank gun, uh, like, for example, the blank guns that I own and many major studio owns, They're real guns, but you take that gun and the whole port, the whole barrel system, the whole injection system, it's all brand new. What I mean is they make it only to fit a blank ammunition diameter of the casing. 
if you have a nine millimeter round, you can't get a real round and put it into that gun. It won't fit. Hmm. The only thing that fits inside it is a blank ammunition. That's always done if you're going to use blank guns. Unfortunately, after that case, a lot of the studio films, a lot of the major TV series are going all to, to plastic guns or airsoft guns. Okay, after that incident, we should have been avoided. Um, so you have this specialized meeting. You explain what the gun is. You explain what you're doing. You make everybody. You know, some people are like right now. Last week we we're working a show, and and people are cringy about it. You know. And they wanted to actually see the gun, which I already make them do that since before this this incident. You know, if you feel uncomfortable, if I see somebody in the group that feels uncomfortable, I will go and show them this is a plastic. You can't open it. It's pure plastic, et cetera, et cetera. The only person who gives that gun to the talent is the armor or the gun wrangler, some people call it. Okay. The only person that they give it back to is that person, is the gun wrangler. Not the first AD, not the director. It should be only one a to B, that's it, going to, and there, certain situations happen. Uh, again, I won't get into this case, but there's situations where the first AD told him this way and then this way, and then he's trying to cover himself, say the gun went up by itself, all this kind of stuff just to safeguard themselves right now. So, but the whole thing is this, you start with proper casting the right armor. Right. And what is that? Well, somebody who has experienced firearms, who somebody who's certified either to an NRA or any other, and, and any other company that deals with firearms, whether you're a firearm instructor, um, an armor, have experience with firearm and so on. That's all started where they hired a young person, has no experience whatsoever, not set advocacy, not firearm and so on. And I say that you know, people say, well, but what do you have to be this and that do, do have that, you know, the certification of the NRA or instructor? Because a lot of times those talent will ask you, hey, how do you hold a gun? How do you load a gun? How do you do this? They want to know because those some, some of those, I've been talent, and I won't mention names, UJ actresses, says, you know, they grab a gun like this because they're so scared <laughs> of guns. So that's, this person has to become a lethal weapon in two, in two seconds. You know, it's yeah. got to shoot, fire, run, reload, and so on and so on. So that's why the experience has to be there. And of course, number one is being the safety. Yeah. Pointing the gun in a certain direction, loading a certain place. Uh, again, going from A to B only. You know, like I fired and set myself, people. And unfortunately, when you have a set, I will mention a movie, I was in a set. I was a stunt coordinator. I was in an armor that set. And there were, I don't know, 25 people with firearms, plastic guns. And I turn around and I see like five or six guys playing with guns and one had it in the head. I grab that guy, go get out of my set. Yeah. You're out, the whole group out of here. You know, we all like to take pictures and so on, especially when you're doing big studio films and so on. Don't be stupid. Um, and I've done that two or three times because I, don't, I, won't, I won't support that. You know, I'm big into safety. I've been in this business for 30 years, never had an accident, whether with a firearms or any type of stunt. I'm not about to have one now for some stupidity. You'd made me feel a little bit better. I recently produced a short film where we had guns. We had two two guns. Even with the small crew, three of us are veterans, been around guns for a long time. The writer-director is a former police officer who was a firearms instructor. So we did, we had the, the IATSE safety brief. That was on, we did the safety brief every morning. We told everyone, if at any point anybody feels uncomfortable or whatever, you feel free to yell cut. You know, everybody is empowered to do that. I'm sure they say that to people, but hopefully when it's said, it's meant on bigger set. But even, so we had a prop revolver and before every take would open the barrel, look at it, show everyone. It's empty. None of us having been armorers, but we basically followed everything you said. So, so that makes me really feel good. But it does bring up a point. You know, that was a low budget 
film. You know, even I think it had a $10, $12 million budget. When you bring that down to true, like, micro, low-budget, independent films that are always looking to cut costs, um, I want filmmakers and producers to know that's if you are going to have firearms and weapons, that's an area you cannot cut corners. Well, this is, this is the, and you said something that's important right now. You're trying to go cheap or cut cost. And what does everybody have? And I see it in the world of music videos, okay? They bring real-life firearms to set. And I've been to two of those, and I walked out. And this is friends of mine, producers, hey, Juan, can you come by and do this scene? So this, this. And I walked out. So what happens is, listen, uh, right now you go to Bass Pro Shops mm-hmm. or Walmart, and you get plastic guns. And if you are a student, you're going to use proper guns, I mean, plastic guns, you still should have a safety meeting. And another thing, too, uh, as a matter of fact, I just somebody was calling me a few days ago, and we're talking about this short film they're doing, and they bought plastic airsoft. Airsoft still has air, and it still could have a BB inside. Mm-hmm. Okay, that BB could take your eye off. Right. And I tell them, there's three screws. Take the screw out. Take the in- internal parts out. Now you don't. the air system doesn't work. You can't put a BB inside there or whatever. Just do that. Or right now, you could buy plastic, full plastic guns or rubber guns. They're, they're cheap. Use that. Don't try to bring any live weapon on set. Even if you have an armor, a police officer. Again, just because you're a police officer doesn't make you an armor. doesn't make you this and that. Remember, their state of mind is different. So I would highly recommend if you are, if you have the budget, get a, a gun wrangler or an yeah. armor. Get one. Again, you know, you got production hubs, you got all those places that have specifically in, in Florida, or if you know somebody, just because you have guns, you like hunting, doesn't make you an armor. You got to have that efficacy in set. You got to know what to do, what to say, specifically you're working with talent, okay? Because people are freaking out now. So if you are going to do some shorter short film or thesis or school project, get the plastic guns. Mm-hmm. If they're not plastic, they're stuffed. Take the three, four, five screws out of it. Take the internal parts out. Take everything that could get to do any type of that. That's what I recommend. And because it was a revolver, credit to our DP and our Gripper Electric team, you know, being able, they had to light it certain ways, so you couldn't see the light coming through, through the barrels. Yeah. But, uh, and another note to follow up on that, ADs, first ADs out there, even if you don't have firearms on set, even if you don't have weapons, even if you don't have anything that may be deemed a safety thing, always have a safety beating. Yeah. <laughs> Before you start shooting, yeah. in, that, in, that's, in that the should day. be that you know, should be a standard. But yeah, I know that should a lot be a standard. It. You know, it's something because I, it's funny you say that because a few weeks ago I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a very good AD, and we were in this conference talking to other ADs for this movie up in Atlanta and so on. And I told him every AD now should be familiar with farms mm-hmm. in one way or another. Every D, AD should be familiar with stunts and how we work, you know, how we we need the time to choreograph or rehearse or previous, whatever it is. They should have at least an idea of it because I don't want to get into the technical part of, of law, but there's something called vicarious liability. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Vicarious liability is like, I use this pen right here, okay? This pen is made by On Point. And I kill somebody with this pen for whatever reason. And, and let's say I, I hurt you some way, he sues you for whatever reason, and he could sue you, and he starts suing the pen company because it has a sharp point. That's why I care. They'll start Got suing it. and suing and Got suing it. and suing and suing. And that's what they tried with this case. They actually tried suing the manufacturers of the gun mm-hmm. and so on. So they're trying to sue everybody they can get a penny from. Um, that's where, going back to what we're talking about, the AD has to have some sort of knowledge of what's going on. Because I know he's got a lot of things through his head. He's got this, he's got that, he's got talent, but he's got to say, 
Okay, I see a firearm come on set. This next scene, we have firearms. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, coming close by, let's do the safety meeting. Let's do that brief. He'll talk, and he'll hand it over to the to the Wrangler or exactly. to the Armor or whatever. Let him do his, his two things, you know. And that's about it. It's just knowing those A through C right. steps for, for safety. Right. And even blanks. When I was at Brandon Lee, everything was followed, but I don't think from everything I remember in red, like nobody either looked to see or nobody saw that there was a wad in the barrel and just, you know, the force behind the blank propelled it. So with blank ammunition now, again, I'm yeah. unfortunate we have to go through some trauma to learn certain things in life, you know, whether it be that or many other things. Right. So as they learn in the blank world and the blank ammunition world, now the blank ammunition is it's it's only crimped. There's two types. There's a crimp one, which is only powder inside, and there's one that has a plastic uh, green wad, but when it's fired, that wad becomes nothing. I mean, some of, some of the guns you see, you could actually shoot your hand and you wouldn't feel it, right. you know, but that's how good that they are. That's yeah. how good they're doing. They're fixing the, the barrel system yeah. to be able to cycle back correctly right. and throw a good flame, but nothing exposes out, nothing yeah. comes out. And that's why I like, I'm big into blank firing because it makes it look real. It gives that specific to talent, you know, when it goes bang and so on. And, yeah. you know, it gives that extra acting for them instead right. of, you don't have the John Wick like just shooting 50, yeah. By people and there's no there's no blank there's no reaction so that blank ammunition gives it all that sense of just and like for example extraction that's all blank ammunition. well and i mean i've been out of marine corps over 20 years we used the bfas back then yeah. if you don't put it on tight enough yeah. your your rifle's not going to fire and interesting so i i don't know if they still use them i mean the marines probably do because yeah, do. we were always stuck with the old yeah. style but also when when i deployed in 2000 my artillery battery we we're all we we're also the non-lethal batteries so we learn, you know, all the non-lethal ammunition, you know, beanbag, that actually a representative from the company that made it came to the training, put on chest protection, helmet, private protection, and actually got shot with the non-lethal there for it to see um, what it's like. And then after they leave, the Marine instructors make it a point to say, yeah, just remember, even though it's non-lethal ammunition, if you shoot it at someone's head, oh, yeah, it's always going to be lethal. You know, even using blank guns, uh, there's always a, a point of aim that yeah. you're not aiming. You yeah. know, if it's it, all camera tricks. If I'm going right. to shoot you in the chest, you could be right here with the camera at angle you sell it. Exactly. And, and, we, and we do that, doesn't matter if it's five inches away or 50 feet away. You always, right. because people feel comfortable. I had a talent walk off set when somebody had a talent many years ago. I didn't know her background, but her husband got killed with a gun. And the moment I gave her a gun, she started crying and we had to take her back to set. And we had to actually last minute change the scene. So, but you never know. And it's it's kind of freaky when somebody's pointing a gun at you, even though you know it's play, you know it's movie and so on, but it's kind of freaky. So we always teach them and then I redirect the camera. Yeah. And I wouldn't say I yell, but I said something to a woman in a mall one day because her kid, I think maybe like 11, 12 years old, old enough to probably know better be told. He had a little, like a wooden little rifle and he was standing in the middle of the mall pointing it at people. And I, I said, I said ma'am, no, you can't do that. Time has changed. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to my childhood days, you know, when three brothers, we had Play World revolvers yep. and we're in our front yard and da, da, da. But time has changed. Exactly. We have new times in this yeah. world. And unfortunately, yeah. you know, everything is it's an issue, you know. Right. But where, you know, staying on the topic of safety, because I think it's very important, aside from weapons and firearms, where else do you see challenges and where, like, people are trying to cut corners in unsafe ways? 
either to save money or they don't know how to, I guess, fake it for the screen so they do it real? Yeah, I, I know where you're getting to and I may answer that. But that's a, if you wouldn't have brought it, I would have brought it up. So people listening can understand that. Whether it's a super low budget short film or a, a $100 million film, safety is priority, number one. But what's, what I've seen in the past year is that a lot of the scripts are written and given to producers and they, they find the crew and cast and everything. And they start reading the scripts and the scripts is above and beyond the capacity of the budget. And what happens when you have a script that's above and beyond the capacity of the budget, specifically stunt or action, you're gonna try to, use my language, half-ass those things. And that's when injuries come. People bring live firearms to set. They wanna do a high fall into certain things that are not appropriate for doing high falls. They wanna do stunts that without padding. You know, they start cut all these corners you know, and that's when incidents happen. And let me tell you, uh, in my experience, the ex- incidents that happen in sets that I seen, and even in my sets, happen when when the stunts are so minor. That's when shit happens. Excuse my language. Because you think it's minor, because you're just letting it get lackadaisical, and you don't know? think they have to and, put all the protocols on. But away. I see certain things. That's why, I, and we'll talk about that later on about the little differences of, uh, you know, you you become a stunt performer, and then from there you kind of graduate yourself to stunt coordinator. And then you kind of graduate yourself to second unit director. Right. And then that's basically. And we'll talk about that later. Yep. There is no such certification. There's no one going to give you the, the sword and go and give you the right. uh, whatever you call it uh, and tell you you've been promoted to this next position. There's none. It's just time. We have a lot to talk about. We're going to take a quick break again. But before that, we would like to thank partners that helped make this podcast possible. Cinevideotech, who's been a mainstay of the film industry since 1968, providing equipment, support, and training. M2 Productions, who provides direct writing and assistant director services and com tv who offers consulting and production services for a wide range of entertainment this is howard brand you're listening to the cinema pathway podcast we'll be right back and we are back with wombo field Juan, you talked about your background you talked about yeah, how you got started in your career in stunts and some great stories and experiences. Uh, you also just mentioned that there's a progression that stunt performers take. They start as a stunt performer, then a coordinator, then a second unit director, and then like you, you know, a lot then are able to become directors. Right. So talk about your transition to becoming a director. Well, it's just like there's no category per se as a stunt performer. Uh, you know, I tried that many years ago with SAG and I got slapped in the back of my hand. Don't do that. But basically, uh, as a stunt performer, you'll start as a stunt performer. And then with time and with credits and a producer that likes you says you've been promoted today, you're a stunt coordinator. So there are people who just want to be stunt co- uh, performers. Mm-hmm. I know many people that have been, you know, 25, 30 years just done performers that don't want to step up to that coordinator, which is fine. Right? But there are people who now they receive not only their own training, but been around sets, they got a lot of credits to their IMDB and so on. They want to take another step, not only financially, but more creatively, mm-hmm. because as stunt coordinator, you start getting creatively. So um, so you'll start with a stunt performer, and then you'll, the second step will be a stunt coordinator. 
And then the third step, if you wish to go, is called they call a second unit director. Basically, second unit director, you're a director, but you're also a stunt coordinator. Yeah. In major studios, you'll have a second unit director and a stunt coordinator. Um, low budget, you'll be the stunt coordinator slash director at the same time. But those are the three areas that you go. And lastly, whoever wants to fulfill just can become a straight director. I know a couple of friends of mine that started as film performer. Now they're directing films. Actually, students of mine that started with me uh, right now, Bad Boys. Those are those those stunt coordinators are second unit directors and directors. Um, Star Girl. This kid started with me in Hialeah. This guy's directing now. Not only he was stunt coordinated, but now he's directing Star Girl. So those are the transition, the steps you take. Now to become a stunt man, since you're in that position and you brought up a little while ago, it, it's not like you go to a stunt school. There is stunt schools and so on. I consider stunt performers a profession. Period. End story. If you're going to become a doctor, go to doctor school and you do this, you do that, and you train, you learn the medicine and so on. I believe the same with stunt performers. If you are going to be a stunt performer, you're going to say, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. You just can't sit back and wait for that call. you got to continue training. I have a list in my, in my phone right here of a thousand stunt performers. You tell me what you want, how you want it, what they want, qualification you want, and it's just a click away. So I think it is a profession. You got to continue training. You got to stay in shape. You got to not only cardiovascular, but look at the part and so on. And then you got to train whatever it is. Now, in stunt in the stunt world, there are five areas of, of stunting, let's call it that way. You got your fire burns, you got your driving, you got your fighting, you got your high falls, uh, and you got your driving. Those are the five major areas of stunt. You should be trained or at least training in those five areas because a lot of scoring like myself, yeah, I got a thousand people here. I know who to call for fire burns. I know who to call for, for high falls. I know who to call for fighting. There are a little bit, maybe 30 people out of a thousand that could do all five great because those, those five are specialties. Right. There's only people that I call for driving, but they sit back and, and make over 150K a year. They get calls for driving in movies only. I got only people that could do burns, mm-hmm. fire burns, full body burns. They can't fight, they can't drive, but man, they're great in fire burns. You can light them on fire all you want. You can light them on fire you want from a quarter burn to a, f- a full burn. Or you got, you know, your free runners parkour that you can't fight, but man, you tell them to run from roof to roof and do this and flips. And so you got those specialties, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think this is a profession. You got to get good out of those five. Now, what's most useful is taking hits on the floor and fights and movies. Uh, because now you, if you get hired, uh, basically you're hired for a specific reason, but a lot of people like myself is, I'll hire you depending on what I'm gonna use you, but I might use you for other things. So I don't like to hear my stunt performances, but I can't do that. You mean you tell me you can't jump 10 feet and you wanna become a stunt guy? That should have been one of your you know, your training. I know you might be scared of height at 30, 40, 50 feet, but if I have you doing a jump from 10 feet, you should be able to do that. That's a stunt performer. So there's quality Qualifications is training involved. Uh, you know, I make, uh, I, I don't make anybody, but I told my guys, man, continue training. Even if it's twice a week, do your running, do your parkour, do your high falls, you know. I'm not saying spend money on fire. Get, you know, get in the track somewhere, the parking lot behind the Home Depot and do some 90s, some 180s, some 360s, reverses. So you get, you get, you know, used to it, you know, because you might get called for that scene and then you're going to go, wow. And then the last scene the stunt coordinator wants to hear, I can't do that. Right. Can you back up for a second? You just mentioned like 90s, 180s. What, what is that? Slides when you're coming in straight forward taking corners, sliding the back, okay. like that. You're coming backwards and you do a reverse 180, go the opposite direction. In cars. In cars. That's all car driving. That's all cars, yeah. So, yeah, there's terms, interior terms. Like got in it. fight scenes, you know, yeah. you got to do this kind of, you got to be roles, you got to see you know, all that kind of uh, terms that we have in, in the world. Yeah. And you mentioned something a little while ago, just because you're a martial artist doesn't make you a stunt performer. And I get a lot of that. Just, just because you can throw punches and kicks and blocks doesn't make you a stunt performer. 
why does it make your stomach formal? Because they're, they're legal distancing to use. And I, I say legal, it's not in a legal term, lawful term, but there's a basis of training when you punch and kick, the distancing between you mm-hmm. and your talent or you or your other performer. I like to use the 12 to 14 inch rule. If I'm going to punch this mic right here, I want to make sure I'm 12 inches away and the camera will sell everything. If I'm going to kick to the body or something, there's certain ways for safety. Is there been broken jaws and broken noses on set? Yeah, because again, not training properly, not having the right person there and so on, just like the situation with a firearm. Right. It could happen. Do you cringe when you hear stories? I mean, famously, like, you know, I grew up on the Rocky movies and, you know, Rocky Four. Sylvester Stallone told Dolph Lundgren, hit me for real, yada, yada, yada. Sylvester Stallone ends up in a hospital from it. And I think even in one of the Creed movies, Michael yeah. Jordan, same thing, like hit me for real. Does that make you just like- I don't like that. And, and they say that because they have the you know 12-ounce gloves, 14-ounce gloves, yeah. okay? Yeah, can you get hit with a few times? Yeah, but no, it shouldn't be that. Because if you have a good DP, and if you got a good stunt corner, you'll sell those shots as good as you hit it. Now, there's gonna be some slow-mo shots at 120, 60 frames, and 48 frames that you could do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does that you could do that you yeah. could take one or two of those light hits yeah. you know they sweat the face off they yeah. sweat the gloves so you can see the little particles yeah. of water fly yeah. out to do that slow motion 120 frame shot yeah. yes you could get away from that but i had a lot of actors in my career that say no i want him to hit me for real i go no no you don't you know you you're my a actor you get hit that's it they close production 20 million dollar budget goes to yeah. crap you know no i can't afford that and you remind me of a funny story when i was asking someone to help choreograph a fight scene and he's like i don't know about this and i said well let me put it in perspective it's not like we're looking to do john wick style fights in fact it's closer to when Sonny Corleone fights Carlo Mm-hmm. And the Godfather and his punch misses by about three feet. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's more more of, of yeah. what we're looking for. The way styles they're using now, specifically in the last four or five years of cinematography, it's look at John Wick. John Wick ran a, uh, I mean, um, Extraction 2, you haven't seen it yet, but it ran a 15 minute Warner. A Warner is no cuts in between. So everybody's getting spot on. Yeah. All the angles are camera to sell because everything's getting shot, punch, kick, block, fall, and all that. So if you, like I said, if you have a good DP with a good stunt coordinator, a fight coordinator that knows the angles, you can sell it perfect. You don't have to hit no one, okay? Because you and I, I mean, I got my nose broken three times in martial arts, never in a film set, but it's not nice breaking your nose, especially in the, in the movie. Yeah. Seven for me, but it was mainly sports and being a snot nose kid. Yeah. So a couple times, know, and one time in the Marine Corps. That's, you know, the feeling. So, and I'm sure a talent doesn't want to get hit. Yeah. I just worked with a talent this past weekend and we were doing uh he he got out of the chase scene on the car and he ran and had to tackle him he didn't want to get touched at all i respect that that's no problem so we had to, got to sell it for somehow so i got right in front of the talent and my stunt guy came from the back and just touched him just to act like he got hit and he felt yeah, people are going to be like that you don't have talent there there are don't touch me i don't want to get hurt i got you know 30 more days to shoot and i don't want to get hurt period so I, we respect that and then there's ways of getting around with it yeah. with the use of the good stunt performance the good, good use of camera work. So we've talked uh, on previous guests how the transition from film to digital has allowed filmmakers to not be as specific. They figure they could take 10 takes, take as many takes they want to get it right. The one area though where you still, you know, stunts especially is where you get one shot in big stunts, explosions, car crashes, Mm -hmm. and all that. What's it like to have all that pressure on the stunt coordinator to make sure you get it right because you only got one shot at it. I work great under stress. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that all in my shoulder type, you know, that heavy 45 pound duffel bag in my back, you know. There are scenes multiple times that I've done where there's so many things going on at once. You got explosions, you got gunshots, you got bullet hits. 
on the walls. You got so many, you got thousands of dollars in a three second, four, five second scene mm-hmm. with stunt performers, explosion, gun hits in the walls, guns. I mean, so many things. And it's a one take type of thing. Can that happen? Can you get a goofball out of that and make a huge mistake? Yeah. Transformer movies will tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's been a lot of those, you know, mistakes there that it's not mistakes. It's that there's so many moving parts. There's always something. That's where previous comes in hand. That's where everybody's got to be on board. That's when you double, triple check every wire and make sure that squib goes off. That's when you make sure that every stunt performer has that angle correctly. To make sure that every that DP and that's those two or three, especially for those big scenes, you have four or five cameras rolling, plus a drone over, plus GoPros on the floor. When you got all that, everything has to work in unity. Right. And it's just rehearsal into rehearsal mm-hmm. into rehearsal until you get it right. Now, is it always going to work perfect? No, but you try to do whatever you can. Right. Now, as long as the stunt works, you can have an FX go off or not go off and the post could fix that but right. post cannot fix that moving a fist right. that's moved or right. moved out or not making contact etc right. Yeah. right and you mentioned earlier previs is is an important aspect of all this can you talk a little bit about that so previs is this so let's say for example you read a script and there's a fighting goes this way okay as a stunt corner you say to yourself with your stunt performers you want to show the director and plus a dt how you would you how would you shoot that so you go to this training site or this dojo or anywhere that you could you could put this fight scene together or this scene together and then actual film it and cut it yourself. Like I cut them my films, I'll have a guy who cuts some film for me. And then I will hand it to the director or producer, in this case the director. Here's how we shoot that. You see every scene that sells. That way he could have, when he gets to set, when he puts his, his shot list together, where everything's supposed to go. So he doesn't have to go to set and tr- start inventing. Okay, you run from there to there, do this and punch this. No, everything's already given to him. Okay. And he approves it. Oh, I like this fight scene. He shows us the director. He shows it to the DP. Get your camera guys all his angles for this scene. So I, we di- I did all the work for them pretty much. And you expedite things. So like a proof of concept of, That's all of, it the, is. of the act. Yeah, so it's a proof of concept, but you actually film it and you every angle, even to a point where you, you put the impact, you, you put the sound design, right. the bullet hits, where the bullets were right. hit, the punches were hit, the blood flying, all that, you put it on, on right. previous. But you know that also goes back to the budget question that, you know, low, you know, indie films, low budget. But you're going to have those films. To do that. You're going to have those films. You're going to get to set. He's going to give you a script. You go put it together yeah. and you got 10 minutes before you film it. And a lot of them don't realize that the money you spent on the front end preparing for all that is money you're going to save because now you may lose a half a day of shooting trying to yeah. figure it out yeah. Yeah. where you could have had that in place yeah. earlier. Unfortunately, you know, like I said, we go back to if you're doing a short film or stuff like that, things are, you know, I just, uh, it's just one of the things that if you're producing this, especially for producers, any producers out there, don't try to take shortcuts. Even though you're doing a $10,000 film, don't try to take shortcuts. It's going to cost somebody's life or somebody's going to get injured. Talk to the right people. Uh, if you guys in Florida, I could give you my number. Give me a call. I'm, I would love to talk to you, give you advice, what to do, not to do. I could do a Zoom meeting for you guys and help you out, whatever. I'm a filmmaker. I'd love to give my 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 experience and my expertise if I could do say so. So you know, the show could give my information. I will, you know, if you need it for anything, call me. Don't try to do something stupid, something I could help you with. I could say or, or just guide you in the right direction. Call me. Yeah, you know? we, we will absolutely get that information. Absolutely. For our audience before. 
before the end of the show. Uh, but I do want to ask you, what are the hardest stunts to coordinate both? Like, what are the hardest vehicle stunts, you know, chases, jumps, explosions, crashes? I'm sure there's a whole vocabulary. And then what are the the hardest stunts that just involving people to coordinate? The hardest stunt to coordinate, uh, it's it's not that it's hard. It's, it's And I, I use the word complicated. And let me explain to you why I mean that. And we go back to what we're talking about when it's a one-time deal type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a budget, you know, like Michael Bay's budget, where, you know, you're going to crash a Lamborghini, but he doesn't get one Lamborghini. He gets two or three right. or four. Well, Michael Bay movies are two hours of explosions with some dialogue. Yeah, basically. So you have, remember, I remember Bad Boys 1, you know, we were crashing cars, but we had extra cars to crash. You don't have that. Sometimes you don't have that budget or that stuff. So everything has to come together. But the hardest part for me involving are our car crashes where you got to prep the car for several days, put roll bars, depending on, you know, there's different types of car crashes. You got the the regular air type car crashes. You got the pipe ramp type car crashes. But everything involves because there's a person inside that car, specifically that we are utilizing. Some Nowadays, you put a dummy inside and you do all wire work. And we'll, that's another another day we'll come back with all the different ways. But most of the car crashes are done with a stuntman inside. You know, we take that car, we, we take it to the shop three or four days. We rig it up with bars, safe, all safety mechanisms. Everything that's out of that car that could be, could be dangerous, we make sure we, we fix it. So when you're doing car crashes or multiple car crashes, that's the way it comes. I did one uh, a few years ago where we have four car crashes. I've done many of those six, seven car crashes, but this one's hard hit because I had to hit a ramp and this car had to, in midair, hit this one and fly off. Uh, so it's, number one is a timing issue. Number two, it's, it's one of those things that we had crowd around. We had, it was a busy street, yeah. supposed to be a busy street. So we have stunt men just walking, Jay crossing and crossing like a hot dog stand there. Everybody was stunt men. So everybody had to keep an extra eye. Like there's not yeah. two eyes. We have six eyes on that shot because you never know when, you know, yeah. once you hit that car hits, you never know where it's going to yeah. go. So uh, those are the most complicated ones for me, you know. The scene that makes me think of and the one that always blows my mind is a Final Destination 2. The highway scene mm-hmm. is just mind-blowing, you know, and again, the complexity that must have gone into that, the timing of everything. And it's to this day, myself, you know, and a lot of, if I'm behind, if I end up behind a truck that's hauling logs or branches or anything like that, I am getting into a different lane. (laughs) Well, look at the Too Fast, Too Furious, and they're going above and beyond with stunts and you, and and a lot of people think, oh, that's CGI. No, some of those stunts are for real. I mean, you got two of the best stunt coordinators in the world. Second unit directing that is stunt coordinating that. So they're going above and beyond. And plus, when you have the budget, you get all the toys, you know, so. So that's a, but yeah, that's where we're at. So are, are the complex ones also the most fun or what are, what are the most enjoyable type of scenes for you to uh, stunt coordinate? I like stunt coordinate a combination of, of things like huge shootouts, major shootouts where everything's breaking around and there's combined of shootouts and fight scenes. Sort of like that John Wick and we come yeah. back to that John Wick. Everything's moving, all, all these moving parts. Yeah. I love that because previously we do it right. We film it right. We show the director and then he likes right. it and then we got to make sure now we what we got here we got to apply in front of the camera now and it's funny you mentioned you know i mentioned michael mann earlier you know he and when i was in the marine corps it was a few years after he came out and that was when the marine corps and the army started using the gun battle scene in heat showing val kilmer reload yeah. and and the bounding cover and retreat under fire and it was like if you can't do it as well as this actor can you well, fail he does the movie of that everybody follows for yeah. shootouts and yeah. back to what you said earlier it's practice i mean everyone's seen the videos of keanu reeves mm-hmm. you know, 
defensive range putting the work in. You go back, De Niro, Pacino, and Kilmer put that work in. And I'm sure they did it in the early days too. But it's, uh, you know, sometimes the audiences don't realize how much work performers have put yep. in before cameras roll. It takes roll. a lot. It takes training. Great. We're going to take one more break and we will be back to conclude this wonderful episode. To our listeners, if you enjoy listening to our podcast, please support us by subscribing to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform and giving us a rating and then head over to our online store at paradoxicalfilms.com forward slash shop where you can purchase Cinema Pathway gear, including t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. Last of all, be sure to also follow us on Instagram at cinema underscore pathway underscore podcast for behind the scenes photos and more. We'll be right back. And we are back. We talked a lot about what you've done, you know, your your long career or, or careers, I think is a good way to put it. One of the things that's been kind of a recurring theme on this podcast is educating the next generation. And it doesn't always happen in a, quote, classroom, you know, or at a film school or at a, at a stunt school. But you have had opportunities to pass on your knowledge and train uh, the next generation of stunt performers. So can you talk a little bit about that and what you've done? Yeah, so I've been blessed, and I use the word blessed, to have uh, trained and trained and got people into this business that are really doing real big. For example, Albert Bayadaris, known as Spider. He is Batman and Superman's double for the next four or five years. He's uh, and uh, Captain America's double, Spider-Man's double. They all basically started with me here in Miami. So I'm blessed enough to be able that they, they went through me and they got the training through me and I got them started in the business and we still stay in touch and I've been blessed with that. Now, if, if anybody wants to get in the business of stunt performers, this is where I like to go out and get people if I need more individuals. I usually go to gymnastic schools, martial arts schools, driving schools, or anything that leads to, even if you go to sports, like for example, I got a stunt guy who's great in baseball, but his ability to be able to jump, you know, shoot gun. I, He's just very athletic, not because he's particularly good at something, but he's very athletic. Um, most of the good martial artists come from some some sort of martial art. I mean, not martial arts, stunt performers come from martial arts. A lot of them come from dancing because they got the flexibility, they have, they know the choreography system and so on. A lot of our car drivers, retired car drivers, guys, a lot of, mil- you know, retired military guys who know how to handle guns and so on. But if somebody wants to come and say, okay, I want to become a stunt performer, what is it I got to do? There is no such school. There is schools. Um, I hold a workshop here every June and July. It's a stunt workshop where we deal with those five areas. We talk about those five areas and more. But other than that, ongoing school is nothing. In Atlanta, there's a couple of them because Atlanta right now, as you know, is the film industry of the world. You know, that's become the second Hollywood, you know. There's a few people there that I know personally that they have ongoing training for stunt personnel. Uh, there's also some big workshops that's happening. But actual on and on training, what I suggest to people, if you're going to be a stunt person, get in some sort of martial arts where you learn how to fall, how to roll, how to fight, how to punch, how to kick and so on. And then if you do get in the business, continue training, doing your weights, doing your, your parkour, your running, learn, you know, go to gymnastics, learn gymnastics. A lot of major, major players in the industry, professional stunt performers come from gymnastics. Some of the biggest ones right now in the country are gymnasts, okay? And of course, when you have that flexibility of a gymnast, you could learn how to do a kick or a punch and so on because you have that strength, you have that flexibility and so on. So on. But if you do want to become and say, okay, how can I get started? Well, right now, what I would suggest you do is get into something like that, get into a martial arts. 
And if you want to get into the industry, and let's say you're local to Florida, as we know Florida is not the huge industry right now for filming, but get into it, start slow, become an extra, uh, an extra background actor, mm-hmm. go inside there, put yourself into that world, you know, at least to know the etiquette of being in the film business, you know, what to do, what not to do. And the next thing is find a stunt coordinator like myself that you could call me and say, I want to become a stunt coordinator. What can I do? I'll start bringing you to set, seeing us work. How do we do things? And then if you do have any ability, I throw you in some basic stuff. Okay, this guy's running across, move back and just fall on your butt. Do a backfall, you know, or something like that. So I'll start you from kindergarten and, and take you up the, the ladder, you know. That's basically how it is. And believe it or not, those people that I mentioned about that they're doing huge jobs right now started that way. You know, as one particular person started with me, he was like, like a yellow belt in martial arts, it, but he had this wanting to do this business so much that he stopped the yellow belt, but he just progressed. He right. got it, like we said before, it just becomes a profession. You got to continue fighting and kicking, the punching, the running, the block, the, you know, the, the everything, driving, you know. There are courses for driving. You take, there's a course there in, in Orlando. There's one in, in Tampa. You take it and you go for a three-day stunt driving course. It's costly, not for oh, everybody. Sure. But you learn the basics, 180s, 90s, reverse right. 360s, all that kind of stuff, you know. You take martial arts classes, whether it be judo, jiu-jitsu, karate, you know, learning the basics. And then you find a mentor, like you find a, a stunt coordinator that you go with him and he starts teaching you the tricks. You know, I've done that to so many people in the last five, 10 years where they come in, they want to become, and I bring them in. I throw a little, what we call a little bone at them. Okay, you're going to get punched in the face, throw a punch at this guy, you know? And then whenever I, I do some sort of training, I bring him in so they can get more experience that way. Right. You mentioned a couple of things that really jump out. When you mentioned dance, we've had Nicole Perrion, who's an intimacy coordinator, but her background is in dance. And with the katas, it makes me think of body control. When I also think of body control, and you mentioned athletes, football, when I see particularly a wide receiver making a catch and having a body control to keep a toe in bounds while catching a ball knowing he's about to get hit like the combination of that just blows my mind and and uh again going to performing you know someone who's acted it's not just lines like you have to speak lines while doing stuff with your hands while standing and all that so the body control and understanding your know, body movement is important i think for any performer in anything i also want to come back to you. you've also done some specialty workshops with some uh, local colleges down here so i had a friend of mine that he's a instructor at uh uh, University of Miami, and he uh, uh, asked me to come in and do a workshop. I've been there a couple times already, maybe two, three times already. The first one was real big. The first one, we went through those five areas. We actually burned a guy a full body burn. We did high falls. We did propelling. We did fight scenes. We did all that. And of course, we talk about stunting and stunt the stunt world, what it takes to be a stunt person, the dangers, how much do they make, all that and questions that they ask. Great workshop. It wasn't a workshop per se. It was mostly a uh, sitting down, listening to me, more, more like a lecture. But we had physical we showed what each of those because if I tell you like you said a little while ago what is a 360 what is 180 <laughs> what is a quarter burn of a half burn or a full burn so okay we, we got my stunt guy we yelled him up this is a half burn <laughs> we burn him up and this is a full burn wow this is what we call a high fall high fall has different things you have a step suicide quarters back fall you know you have different types of falls so we had a guy up there two stories and he did a header boom he comes down head and turns to his back we did a suicide when you that suicide you step out and learn to your back so different types of names of so we're demonstrating it plus we're talking about it and people were just all on it and they got i mean that school the first time i did it they wanted me back every every year which i'm trying to do um i did something for miami day too 
especially the Wolf Campus. Um, I forgot her name, but we did a, a, a workshop there too. Not the student involved, but talking about each of the segments we mm -hmm. spoke about. What does it become to take to become a stunt person? What is a stunt person's job? What how much they make? You know, all that kind of stuff. You know, so and then of course I do my yearly workshop that if when I open it up on Instagram in five minutes it's packed. And where does that take place? In Miami, in Hialeah area. Okay. And how long is that? Uh, we have a women's workshop for for eight hours and we have a two day for everybody all stunt performers for two days is, is 16 hours yeah, it's intense it's not it's not it's not for the not for me because i'm <laughs> i'm way past the uh being able to ha handle that but definitely very exciting opportunity for those that want to yeah. well, get basically into it the workshop is this like we talked about before you know people come to me and say well they want to become stunt guys i hate for them to be traveling or paying so much money to go yeah. travel and, and get a yeah. training where they could come there and, and they get at least a basic mechanics right. and it helps me out too because now my portfolio for stunt performers is bigger and you know i might have you as a talent you know you got a beard mustache and bald and i gotta double you i gotta go be able to go look at my my portfolio and say who's 185 you know five foot ten eleven and fits this with glasses and beard and bald head you know if i was 510 185 i would have made it to the nhl <laughs> so that's what it is you know so the, the more yeah. the more people I get in my cab, my system, the better it is. And I think it's important that you said, you know, we have a worldwide audience and we thank all our listeners uh, and appreciate all of you. But we do record in the Miami area and all of us, we're committed. You mentioned that there used to be a big film industry down here and we want that to come back. There's things in motion. Hopefully they come through a building back. But the fact that you do offer that workshop, I was at a roundtable discussion yesterday and nurturing the talent that we have down here and keeping them in state. Another sports analogy, I grew up in New Jersey. Rutgers football for years had this major problem. Some of the best football players in the country coming out of high school, but they don't want to play for Rutgers. They would go to Notre Dame you know, or even close to, you know, they have Penn State, Syracuse, even Maryland right there. So, you know, how do you nurture that in-state talent? The creativity of the filmmakers mentality, you got to leave to make it, but let's keep people here. I totally agree. And I'm one of those that want to push the industry here. Like I said before, in our, in our first topic, of this this podcast is that back in the early 80s and 90s this was this is mega country for filming now it's evolved listen Florida, I, i've been through throughout the world filming uh, and i know atlanta is the hollywood of filming right now but you can't compare florida though man to, yeah. to atlanta you got the beaches you got the everglades you got the water you got the buildings you got you know you got so many beautiful sceneries not mm -hmm. to film here yeah. you know you got the talent let me tell you right now and this is a truth i'm going to say this 100 percent truth the best stunt performers that's ever come out of the country came out of florida why because you have disney world you know, half mm -hmm. of the stunt performers right now, they work somehow in Disney World because they had the theme parks and mm -hmm. they're constantly doing shows, you know. Um, but the best stunt performers, a lot of those performers we spoke about came from that era, yeah. from the, from the Disney. And it's funny, I think Hal Needham is a Florida guy and his, uh, I guess his muse, Burt Reynolds, another Florida guy. Yeah. So th there's no reason. This this should be the mega. I mean, yeah. we're trying to do whatever it takes to bring back the film industry yeah. here. It does come. I've been blessed enough to work here a lot because uh, I do get a lot of work here. But we should be having studio type films here. We should be having, you know, bad boys being filmed every minute, not film three quarters of the movie or more than three quarters of the movie in, in Atlanta and come right. here just to shoot the exterior shot. It shouldn't right. be that. It shouldn't be CSI Miami come here to shoot little exterior scenes and go to LA to shoot that. Yep. It should be all filmed here. You know, the only one we kept here for a long time was Burn Notice. I don't know if you remember that mm -hmm. show, but it was great. Burn Notice, just, just glades and... 
and other shows that brought a lot of money to South Florida. Yeah. And there's no reason for that. I mean, the industry, the film industry in, in Georgia is just incredibly how much money is bringing to that to that state. And there's no reason. There's no reason. I just can't find out. I'm in awe to understand. A beautiful place to film. I'm bringing my film here. So on that topic, you know, you are a filmmaker as well. What are some of your current projects that you're working on? Well, like I said before, now my last five years have been directing more. Um, and I just finished a film, Call Your Kill, which is going to cons soon. Congratulations. So we just finished filming that. And I don't know if your audience could see a few. Uh, if you do video it, you, I'll send you guys a trailer to it. But it's an action film. It's more, almost like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Brad Pitt. But it has a nice story to it. A divorced couple, but it has a lot of story because there's a kid involved. It's a beautiful story that involves, and, and it actually gets to people's hearts because when I did a premiere here in South Florida, you know, half the girls were crying mid-level, you know, because it has a beautiful story. Even though it's an action pack, a shootout, car crash, mm-hmm. I mean, an explosion, and you name it, it has it. But there's a beautiful story to it, and that's the one we finished. We had a, a great red carpet event in Fort Lauderdale here, and it was packed, and it, it I had two critics there, by the way, and I, one of them I know from Georgia. I told him, come sit down and don't, just because you're my friend, just look at this film and give me give me what you think. And he gave me all high scores and I'm blessed. That's exciting. So yeah. happy for you. Yeah. Congratulations. I can't wait to see that. One of my, my main projects right now is work with the state and try to get the film industry back here. You know, I'm working close with SAG. I'm, I'm the SAG chairperson for stunt safety in, in the state of Florida. And, uh, you know, my job is to make sure that everything works as unison mm-hmm. and everything works safe within the stunt community and I'm even working but that's something we talked about you know we're going to talk about I'm working with SAG hopefully we're trying to do it during COVID but that didn't work but as soon you'll hear from SAG itself I'm doing a stunt workshop for talent and stunt performers here in Miami Excited. soon I will relay the news to you guys and if you guys can make it I'm working close uh, with uh, the person from Miami SAG. We're trying to do it a couple times that everything, you know, COVID came down and we were not able to do it. We're, we're hoping before the end of this year, we have a nice, you know, SAG stunt workshop for the community. And, you know, you had uh, very generously had mentioned earlier that people can get in touch with you, yep. you know, do meetings. How can people find you on yep, social so media, your website? You can email me at jcbstuntsfx at yahoo.com. JCB, Julia Charlie Bravo, the word stunts, plural, FX, Fox x-ray at yahoo.com email me there ask me any questions and then uh and i'll be happy to answer you know i'm i'm big into film i love to help people and if you are a filmmaker they're listening to this if you're a beginner or even an advanced person that wants to have a little knowledge on the stunt world Give me a call and I'll run you through. And if you wanted to submit your script and uh, I could give you ideas on the script. Like I said before, and it's very important, just because you have a large script, don't try to do everything that's there specifically stunt mm-hmm. because you're going to get somebody hurt. You know, exactly. the, uh, your best thing to do is limit your script. Take the, some of the stunts out, make it easier and you get a good movie out of it. Yeah. But any questions, just call me or email me. I love your story, your energy, your passion. You have a huge heart, you know, and you've given back. Are there any, you know, organizations, causes that you're involved with, aside from your, your everyday work that you're, you're involved with that you want to talk about? My cause right now is to bring film to Florida. My goal is to, um, I'm pushing producers on a daily basis. Hey, Juan, can you fly to Atlanta of this? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's all about this. It's all about the money, right. you know, but the incentives, you know, Florida, I, my movie that, a movie that I wrote and I directed i did a short and i won cons with it's called victoria six it's full script and hopefully um, i it's 
takes place in Miami. I'm trying to shoot it all in Florida. What did the investors say? No, we got to go to Atlanta, mm -hmm. shoot 65% Atlanta because of the incentives and the rest, all the exterior shots here. Mm -hmm. It's sad. That, that's the world. But that's my thing right now. I'm working hard to bring film back yeah. to Florida. Yeah. I guess the silver lining in that is, you know, while there's no statewide, there are a lot of local incentives that are coming up, especially here in, yeah. in South Florida. You know, Fort Lauderdale, Broward County, Palm Beach County, you know, Miami have all tried to do as much as they can. So to producers out there, to investors out there, um, look beyond the state level. Look down and, and you'll find some of them are very appealing. And, you know, Georgia, some of the big states are doing. Yeah, Fort Lauderdale and Sandy, I applaud her for, for really, you know, being on top of that. And, and she's done a, a remarkable job in Fort Lauderdale. And, and she's trying to bring the incentive pro program back. And she's very helpful. She's helped me finding locations, trying to help me out for my for Victoria Six coming to Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. Um, but yeah, man, to out there producers, you know, just don't close your eyes. Open yourself to Fort Lauderdale, Miami. It's beautiful sites to film. Uh, the commission here is going to try to help you. Sandy will try to help you. You know, Miami will try to help you as much as possible. And if you're a producer and, and anything I could do, again, uh, you got my number and my information. Call me. And, I, I, you know, I got the ropes pretty much in South Florida. I've been doing it for 30 years here. Mm -hmm. So I'm blessed to have that. So anything I could do for you guys, just one, one email away. Juan, this has been amazing. Just fascinating. You hit the nail on the head on so many issues that I, as a host, I've been chomping at the bits to want to talk about and finally had the knowledgeable guest to talk about it, thank the you. safety issues. So I really thank you for being here today. You have an open invitation thank you, to sir. come back anytime Absolutely. you want. Again, the best of luck with everything that's coming. Excited to see your work. And uh, we're excited to help you get the word out about your upcoming trainings and helping yeah, you know, yeah. get so them back I'm for that next generation. Guys and then, you know, get me back here and I'll talk about the training, what it takes to get in the training, what it takes to be in the training, because it's not for your everyday Joe, you know, but it's people who want to make this a profession for them. And I think that's the first step and a great step to take. Awesome. This has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. To our listeners, thank you again for joining us on the Cinema Pathway podcast today. I'm your host, Howard Brand. Our director is Miguel Miller. Our producer is Juliette Desan, along with associate producer, Victor Ferreira, and executive producer, Freddie R. Rodriguez. This has been a presentation of Paradoxical Films. Please visit our website at www.paradoxicalfilms.com for more information about today's podcast. You can also email us at cinemapathway at paradoxicalfilms.com where you can send any comments, suggestions, or feedback for future episodes. Be sure to subscribe to the Cinema Pathway podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to join us for our next episode where we will continue to talk about the craft of filmmaking right here on the Cinema Pathway podcast. This is the Cinema Pathway podcast. We'll see you next time. Lights out.